0: In July 2011, the body of 32-year-old Rebecca Zahao was found hanging from a balcony at a Coronado mansion where she lived with her boyfriend, millionaire pharmaceuticals tycoon Jonah Shachnai. Her boyfriend's brother, Adam Shachnai, reported finding her body, which had been gagged with a t-shirt and bound at the hands and feet. A strange message was scrawled in black paint on the bedroom door. She saved him. Can he save her? Zahao's death came just days after her boyfriend's six-year-old son, Max, suffered a traumatic fall at the mansion, one that was ultimately fatal. His death was ruled an accident, hers a suicide. But many, including Zahao's family, don't believe that she took her own life. They believe she was murdered. And although no criminal charges have been filed in the case, the Zahao family has filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Adam Shacknai. A civil trial is now underway in San Diego Superior Court, and we are following it. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Lauren Flynn. This is Under the Gavel. This week, one of the UT's public safety reporters, Lindsay Winkley, reported in court on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Our court reporter, Pauline Reppard, who is with me now, was a bit under the weather this week and was only in court on Tuesday. Pauline, welcome back. Thank you. So you're not feeling well. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this anyway.
1: <laughs> Appreciate it. Well, my nose is stuffed up, so I'm sure I'll sound like that.
0: Eh. Monday, Lindsey Winkley was in court, and she talked about Dr. Cyril Wecht. Is that correct?
1: Right. What do you What do we know about him? Well, he's been a uh, forensic pathologist for decades, and is well known for being consulted on second opinions on some of the major uh, death cases of our nation's history, including uh, the JFK assassination, in which he uh, decided the Warren Commission was wrong and that uh, Lee Hard- Harvey Oswald was not the sole shooter. Um, he was consulted on Elvis Presley's death, Michael Jackson, John Benet Ramsey, the little girl, uh, and our own um, case, Danielle Van Dam, who was Kidnapped and murdered by a neighbor up in uh, Saber Springs, so he's he's well known out there in the community. And Rebecca Zahau's family had hired him as an expert witness to conduct a second autopsy on Rebecca Zahau um, some years ago now.
0: And then he also went on Dr. Phil, right?
1: Right. So yeah. what
0: what were his findings? I know it. His findings have changed, they had, or at least,
1: yeah, no, they have. Yeah. They have over the years. So, um,
0: what did he say after the?
1: Well, it, it is at the end of his autopsy, he decided it was rather inconclusive, um, one way or the other, as to whether she had been killed or whether she died of suicide. Doctor Phil's show. He went a little further down the road and said he leaned toward believing it was a homicide. Mm-hmm. On this case, now that he's been retained on it, he has um, come out further and point blank said on the stand Monday he believes um, she was manually strangled, and that the fact that her body was found hanging was done by her killer to make it look like a suicidal hanging.
0: What was the what was the evidence that we have? Do you know?
1: It it had to do with injuries mainly around her neck uh, and throat, where you would expect injuries from a hanging to be found. And he said that I, uh, a particular cartilage in the neck was fractured, and that one wouldn't really happen in a hanging death. That it's not in a position in the body where a, a noose around the neck would cause that fracture. Mm-hmm but manual strangulation would with the amount of force being pressed on with hands and um he said there were other injuries to the muscles and her skin bruising kind of things around her throat that he believed also had to do with manual strangulation and not uh, hanging right um her her um, vertebrae were actually not broken and that was one thing that he seemed to think would clearly have happened if she had thrown herself over the edge of the balcony, been in a free fall until she came to the end of her rope and then stopped suddenly. Um, It's a nine-foot distance, and there are mathematical calculations, I guess, for her weight, the mass, what velocity she would have fallen and what pressure would have been around her throat from that fall. Dr. Wecht said that the force generated would have resulted in a neck fracture, period. I mean, he he just said it would have.
0: Mm-hmm. So that means he's saying that the evidence doesn't suggest she put through herself over the balcony, that maybe she was gently, more gently
1: lowered? Right, right. If you were up there, if you've already killed her, mm. and then put a noose around her neck, that you would probably kind of heave her body over and then lower the rope down until it's reached the end. So
0: it would go down with a little more control.
1: Absolutely. yeah. Mm.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. What about the injuries on Rebecca's head? What did he say about that?
1: Right. Yeah. He agrees with the um, plaintiff's position that the injuries on her head, there's four evidence of four kind of blows of some kind that those would have been manually inflicted by somebody that they were um serious enough or deep enough that they they were inflicted by somebody using mm-hmm. some kind of a blunt weapon mm-hmm. um and that's certainly the part of the plaintiff's case that right. that is is what happened to her what did
0: um, investigators originally say yeah the original
1: um, autopsy results were that these were very minor and could have been caused if she had struck her head on the wall of the building mm-hmm. after f- falling to the end of the noose. the The injuries are are rather more at the top of her head rather than the back of her head, and so I'm not sure if anybody's really explained how that would happen during a fall. Right, um, seems a little weird. Yeah, and there was testimony in another day in court that if she were hanging and, and kind of spinning at the end of the rope, that any injuries to her head would have probably also happened to her face if she had mm. been swinging or spinning, uh, that they wouldn't just be on one side. Right.
0: So this whole thing implies, the plaintiff's point implies, that it it seems like she was lowered down.
1: Right. Strangled by someone first. someone else. Lowered After she was dead.
0: And what did the defense, when they cross-examined Dr. Wecht, what did they say?
1: Um, Well, I I know um, the defense attorneys for Adam Shackney asked, well, if you had known that none of Adam Shackney's DNA was found on any of these ropes or other surfaces where you might expect them to be found, if, if Dr. Wecht had known there was no evidence like that, would that have affected his opinion? I don't know exactly how he answered that, but I could imagine that it would have been along the lines of his opinion, based on autopsies, wouldn't determine who did it, just that somebody did it. Right. And um, he wasn't looking for the particular evidence of who strangled Rebecca. Interesting. Interesting.
0: We had a forensic kinesiologist come in.
1: Right, that's e- easy about... for you to say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be a lot harder. This is why I, I overemphasized forensic <laughs> kinesiologist. Right.
1: Well, some people might wonder what it means, and uh, kinesiology is the study of movement. So his specialty was is uh, how people move that relates to criminal conduct, either as a victim or perhaps as a suspect. Um, For years, he's had, you know, some decades of experience, a lot of study and um, testimony in other cases. So he was brought on by the plaintiffs to talk about whether Rebecca Zahau could have manipulated herself the way the um, sheriff's investigation Mm -hmm. concluded that she must have done, which was to make a loop for the noose rope around the foot of the bed, throw it over, that's not so hard, um, and then tie up her hands and feet, and then with her ankles bound up, she would have had to hop over to the balcony. And the way the footprints in the dust were found, it appeared that she stood just inside the balcony, from the bedroom door with her heels together as they would have been. And then the next print that investigators found was of the toes of her feet near the balcony railing, Mm. uh, which suggested to them that she was standing on her toes to um, go over Mm. the railing. Dr. James Kent testified that he didn't think it could happen that way. Um, He also agrees that it, had to have been a homicide. She had to have been thrown over that balcony railing. Part of that had to do with her height, which is about five three, and the height of the balcony, which was um, somewhat more than half of her height. Mm. And so he posited that if she stood with her feet on one side of the balcony and then leaned forward until her body hit the railing that it would have hit her too high up on her body for her to go over from that kind of a position of stretched right. across on a kind of a vertical. Um, and then if she'd given a big hop so that she was on her toes, he still didn't think she could throw herself over. Um, the defense suggested that if she was standing right next to the railing, there was nothing to prevent her from lowering her head over the railing Mm. until she just simply went over.
0: It still seems kind of tough. I'm trying to imagine myself doing it if it's half, half, I don't know. I don't know where my...
1: Right. Exactly
0: My equator is... Right. Well, and he um, was talking
1: about her center of gravity, which for women is, center a, of gravity. is a little lower yeah. on, on a woman than mm-hmm. it might be on a man of the same height. But the autopsy also showed that there were very small abrasions, right? Even with her hip bones suggestive mm. that she had rested on the railing that way, or or suffered those little scrapes on her way over, mm-hmm. um, and he agreed that it was very consistent with scrapes from the railings. Again, he just thought it was from somebody who balanced her there for a moment before
0: pushing her, pushing her, her over, lifted her up a little bit to get her hips even with the railing, and
1: right. And he seemed to think mm. that a strongish sort of man could do that from just inside the bedroom at the balcony door edge because if if that killer had stepped out, his footprints would have been found in the dirt mm-hmm. and they weren't. There was a boot print. There was, and they traced the exact Coronado police officer that it matched. Ah. To. Interesting. He was possibly the first guy on the scene. Mm-hmm. Maybe, this, maybe not, but he yeah. was there early and knew where he'd been and they, okay. uh, they were easily able to to eliminate his boots hmm. from their inquiries.
0: I watched, did you watch the 2020 special a I few weeks half ago? Of it. Did you see the first half of the second half? Second half. Did you see the half where the guy from New York, I can't remember what he did. I think He was a retired detective or something. I'm getting this completely wrong. Um, but he and the, the reporter on 2020 found a balcony about the same size, but just in New York with the same kind of reeling, and they had a dummy that I think they they it weighed a little bit more. They had it on like the, the heavier side just to be safe. And he was pretty strong guy, not super bodybuilder, but like strong enough. Mm-hmm. And he tried to throw this dummy that was on a noose, throw this dummy off of the over the balcony without leaving the room, without mm-hmm. putting his feet on the balcony. Right. And he was able to do it. And he said it wasn't easy, mm-hmm. but he was able to do it.
1: Right. So what is Which mean? would make you wonder why somebody would even bother doing that and not just simply erase their footprints, you know, mm-hmm. just scrape them all off, the, you know, rub right. them out afterwards. There just, was
0: no evidence of rubbing any right. footprints out. Right. Right. Hmm.
1: Dr. Kent did say that, even though he testified a lot um, in other cases, some some six hundred and fifty to seven hundred other trials, this was the first time he'd ever testified about a hanging. Hmm. So I think the defense kind of challenged his expertise on this exact kind oh, yeah. of death there and what what would he really know about what happens when mm-hmm. a person is hanging from a rope?
0: Right? He was the one who talked about the abrasions and the scrapes and the injuries to her head, right?
1: Um, He did that also, yes, and and talked about whether she'd be spinning from the end of the noose or not. Mm -hmm. And if so, any injuries would have been consistent around her whole body, her Mm -hmm. face or her nose or something. Um, There were also some small abrasions on top of her shoulders, and Mm -hmm. he didn't see that consistent with bumping up against the wall because it wasn't on the sides of her shoulders. Um, There was also a cactus plant. Growing from the hmm. bottom up along the wall, and she had a number of uh, little punctures on her back mm-hmm. that people seem to agree probably came from that spiky cactus. But again, there was nothing similar on the other three sides of her.
0: And if she had thrown herself over, she may have. She was more likely spinning and would have hit right. it a few it times.
1: Have, yeah, it would have been a little wilder yeah. movement down in the mm. fall and. Could you have those kind of punctures as you were going down, or would you swing once into the cactus and stop?
0: It all sounds bad.
1: Oh, awful. <laughs> yeah. There's I mean there's, it is
0: the whole thing is terrible, but Yeah.
1: There's there's nothing good that happened to Rebecca. Yeah. One way or the other. But place. a cactus. Yeah. Oof. Um no after Dr. Kent said what he did about the injuries and, and the Fall and believing that she must have been lowered down and not in free fall. One of the defense attorneys, David Ellsberg, found an error in Dr. Kent's mathematical calculations mm. on the force of her fall. And Dr. Kent agreed that what was being shown in the courtroom was indeed a, a mathematical error. And he tried to say, but those aren't the calculations I was using for ultimately my opinion here. Mm. Um, but, of course, the lawyer cut him off from that because that wasn't what he wanted to add into Mm -hmm. the record. Right. Um,
0: Well, here's one thing that is separate from that. Could she have, in theory, propped herself up on the railing after binding her feet, but before binding her hands so that her hands were still in front, she could have lifted herself up onto her hips where her center of gravity is, mm -hmm. then balanced it, Slipped it on mm-hmm. and then fallen.
1: Right. Did I don't see why not, especially if she'd already formed the knots mm-hmm. and just had them over one hand mm-hmm. before she put them behind her. I don't see why not. Nobody, nobody can prove those sequences to that fine a point, one way or the other. Um, so, yes, there's no reason that that couldn't be a scenario.
0: But I guess that would mean her her fingerprints and her handprints would be on the
1: railing. Um. Maybe unless maybe her palm would rub them out, maybe. maybe or Yeah, they they definitely there's not been any indication of finding her fingerprints on that railing. Really.
0: Mm-hmm. Both Dr. Kent and Dr. Weck talked about the idea of her being lowered down and the difference between what would have happened had she been lowered and had she free fallen on her own.
1: Right. They, they found a very big difference between those yeah. two scenarios. And but Dr. It, Kent rather dramatically said, uh, prompted by questioning that had she fallen freely the nine feet of distance from the railing to the end of the rope, the force of the stop could have decapitated ugh. her in theory by the, again, the mathematical calculations mm-hmm. of her mass and the speed.
0: And if not decapitated, then at least broken
1: something. Broken her neck or caused more trauma mm-hmm. to her throat than did appear.
0: You weren't in court on uh, Thursday either, but Lindsay Winkley was back. Right. Wednesday and Thursday. What, what happened on Thursday that you know?
1: Well, on Thursday, we got a little hint of the defense case because mm. they put on one of their witnesses out of order before the plaintiff has finished his case. And mm. they did that just to keep things moving along because um, Keith Greer wasn't ready for his final witness, okay. who is uh, scheduled to be Adam Shachnai. Um They thought he was going to go. this week yeah right right
0: disappointed
1: (laughs) (laughs) well and all the direct examinations and cross examinations are taking a lot longer Mm -hmm. than their initial thinking might be so adam Shacknai now is on the schedule for monday in court Hmm. so just to keep things happening to not waste a whole day of the jury jury's time um the defense agreed to put on one of their witnesses, and it was a sheriff's homicide investigator who was on the case mm. originally. Okay. Uh, a detective, Angela Swida.
0: And this is the first person from the original case right. that we know, right. That has testified, right? Right.
1: Right. Cool. I'm sure there will be more.
0: Oh, definitely. <laughs> so, what did what did Detective Swida say?
1: Well, she talked about why the Sheriff's Department and the County Medical Examiner's Office came to a conclusion that Rebecca Zahao had killed herself, and she talked about part of the evidence, apart from any autopsy results, were found on Rebecca Zahao's cell phone in the form of some messages that they listened to. Hmm. And what they heard indicated to them a troubled mind of somebody who could perhaps be um motivated to uh, to take her own life um one of the one of the things that she had put in her messages i, I guess to herself was that her boyfriend Jonah Shaknais two teenage children w- were being disrespectful to her mm. when they were all together and that both of Jonah's ex-wives hated her mm. um and she sort of lamented that she didn't have any children of her own. And then she said that she was finding herself unable to sleep for the first time of her life. And when she closes her eyes, her mind starts racing and thinking and stewing, Hmm. uh, trying to come up with some kind of solution. Uh, She doesn't exactly say what the problem is uh, other than maybe again, referring to children. Um, And then message ended, uh, if I'm not thinking, I'm crying. And there was another message that said, no amount of money is worth what I'm going through. Wow. Yeah. Um, What do they think that means? Well, Detective Sweda testified that she believes all these messages gave investigators a picture of Rebecca's mindset, uh, that she Mm. was not happy, even though Um, her mother and sister had testified early in the case that they believed that Rebecca was happy and Mm -hmm. conversations they had with her indicated no such problems that would weigh so heavily on her.
0: Yeah, everything we've heard up until now has been painted this picture of this happy relationship. Dina said that they would... She was very nice. Right. Dina Shachnai well. had a
1: video deposition played in court and and said good things about Rebecca mm-hmm. um, that they met and that, you know, she was impressed and that Rebecca was in good physical shape, took good care of herself, yeah. was a triathlete, ate healthy. And that was a little point of contention that maybe she was over bored with the kids' mm-hmm. diets. And of course, teenagers are not going to like right. being forced to eat health food. That's true.
0: So the defense is saying, "Here's evidence of why she was already unhappy. Right? Why wouldn't Max's injury and his fall lead her to take it a step further and kill
1: herself? Right?
0: What did the plaintiff? What, what did the plaintiff say? What did Keith Greer say? Right.
1: Yeah. Um, Keith Greer, you inter- know, definitely challenged those notions and and said that he didn't think those cell phone messages add up to feelings of suicide and he kind of challenged other observations by investigators that and in, in their conclusions about suicide that they just didn't strongly enough consider the evidence that right. looked more like murder and um,
0: just because someone is feeling disrespected doesn't necessarily mean they're', they're so just, they're inclined to right. You know, or that they were even considering suicide.
1: Right. And how fragile she was at that state.
0: Right. Hmm.
1: Detective Sweda brought in the testimony. We've heard before that Jonah Shackney had left a voicemail for Rebecca hmm. late the night before she was found dead. And gave her an update on how Max was doing, and it was a very grim prognosis saying that that his son Max was actually brain dead and mm. that he would have to decide whether to o- donate the little boy's organs um, so that's a pretty extreme thing to have on your voicemail right. to to listen to
0: but it wasn't that wasn't that message never recovered it was deleted and
1: right it was deleted off the phone, and the um sheriff's investigator's theory was that Rebecca listened to it and deleted it and then carried out what happened next mm-hmm. uh, with, with a suicide. Ultimately, we have only Jonah Shackney's word of what he said on that message. Uh, um, another thing that the plaintiffs have complained about is that the sheriffs made no effort to retrieve that message off the phone. I don't know if they could have if they wanted to. Yeah.
0: So she... Detective Sweda is just 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 is saying that based on what Jonah said, not right. based on any other right with evidence. The, with their
1: interview of him, okay, right. I'm not quite sure why somebody would challenge what what he told Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Um, the doctors were definitely keeping Jonah and Dina apprised of where things stand as, right. as those days went on. Sure um and detective sweda kind of reaffirmed what the defense lawyer had said in his opening statements that that uh, they found no dna and no fingerprints from adam shacknight mm-hmm. on any of the objects that you would assume would have his prints if he had killed her mm-hmm. and, and handled the ropes and the knives and so on uh, the knife that cut the ropes and so on um
0: that's weird to me this is the first that i'm hearing that there was no dna found and no evidence found on the knife that adam used to cut the rope down because i always assumed that they just didn't even mention that because it was a given that
1: he 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 said he touched it so he wouldn't be right there would be no reason for him to wipe that down right to remove him his own and there would be
0: and it would be that would be his reason for having his fingerprints on that knife. So maybe if they fingerprinted it, they didn't. It just hasn't been discussed. But now they're saying that there was no DNA evidence. Does that include fingerprints, or does that include does that mean specifically um,
1: DNA? DNA would not include fingerprints. But if if uh, Detective Sweeta had been asked, "Well, did you find fingerprints?" I'm sure she would have addressed that. Sure. And, and that would be known. Then they. Did find his prints. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was some a DNA expert testimony that some people just naturally do not leave behind much of their DNA when they handle things. Mm. That some people leave a lot and some people leave very little, and other people are in between. And that can either be their just natural condition of their skin or it could indicate that they had just washed their hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, before the t- moment in question, uh, right. before the testing of it. So, you know, there was some mention that maybe Adam Shackney is one of those kind of people who does not leave a lot of DNA behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would certainly go to the plaintiff's case that he was there handling things, but he just didn't mm-hmm. leave the microscopic particles of himself behind sure. while he did it, or, of course, that he had gloves on,
0: or that he had washed his
1: hands recently. Right, right. I don't think anybody found any gloves with mm-hmm. his DNA on the inside. Right.
0: Well, I don't think this, I don't think we'd be having this discussion if that were the case. Right. That would probably be... Right. A, uh, that would
1: be strong proof of, yeah. of uh, him involved in a homicide. At
0: least the plaintiffs would have already brought that up, I would think,
1: at right. least in their opening statements. Right. Because um, that would have been a big, big piece of evidence. And And I don't know how far he could have gone to destroy any such gloves. I guess you could consider that if he killed her in the middle of the night and took pains to eliminate evidence during the wee hours and Mm -hmm. then called the police when he was all ready for it. I I guess you could argue that kind of a timeline.
0: Right. Is there any... Do we know how long Rebecca was dead before... Authorities got there?
1: No. um, Our county medical examiner's office, by routine practice, dates the time of a person's death with the time they are found dead. Hmm. Or if somebody dies in the hospital, that can be clocked and -hmm. and known exactly. But in a homicide scene where somebody is found later, they deliberately do not make an effort to try to backdate a time of death Um, I did a story at least, I don't know, a decade or two ago on why that is the case when other uh, medical examiners' offices around the country would do otherwise. And the answer then was twofold. is one, they didn't think the science was all that reliable Mm -hmm. because there's so many factors for rigor mortis and the temperature around the body Mm -hmm. and the fluctuations of the temperature. So you don't know you know, if, when they were killed, was it colder or hotter? And then, did it get colder or hotter afterwards?
0: But also, it's San Diego, so how much does the temperature fluctuate compared to other places? <laughs>
1: well, yeah, that'd I be hard I've to, never
0: lived in in, <laughs> in yeah. a place with real weather, so I yeah. don't
1: know the answer to that. Right, we're not. But I was often assume... going from freezing to hot mm-hmm. at the same time. But you could still have at least a twenty or thirty degree. Sure, temperature change between night and day Mm -hmm. and and other kinds of fluid tests and liver temperature tests. They just didn't believe the science was good enough to rely on. And they were frank that another major factor is if they don't do it, then they don't spend all day on the witness stand trying to defend their finding with science that they don't even believe is reliable. You come across a body at 6 a.m., Call the cops right away. They're going to put the death time as six a.m. Period, and even nobody if, argues. Even with if that. it's
0: a body that's significantly decomposed, Um or is no, that no? They would probably
1: okay. put an un, undetermined on that one.
0: That's so interesting to me because every every I can't think of a of a true crime story that I haven't heard that in which there wasn't a an estimated how long they've been dead. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I mean, as part of the investigation, like the, sh- the police investigators are certainly going to look for the people who saw that victim last that they right. can account for, narrow the window down um, to legitimate people that aren't suspected of doing the homicide. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would narrow the window, but... Yeah.
0: Um, and at a, at a private residence in... If- she had been heard screaming the night before. You can kind of assume it had been within the
1: overnight. Right. I mean, in, in another case where there was definitely screams or broken glass mm-hmm. or a gunshot heard at 3 a.m., um, but maybe none of the neighbors call the police right. until the husband comes home at 6 and calls the police. Mm-hmm. Um But that, that they can still use oh, you know, the neighbor now says, oh, yeah, I thought I heard a gunshot at 3 a.m., but I just didn't call you. They could certainly use that to, Mm -hmm. again, narrow that time period down. That still frustrates me, especially (laughs) in this
0: case when we're trying to figure it out. Not that we'll be able to figure it
1: out, but that is frustrating. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, the detective said for bottom line, there was no one piece of evidence that led them to conclude suicide. That it was a combination of those messages, um, Jonah Shackney's ultimate message, and things like the, the message that was painted on the door, mm-hmm. she saved him, can you save her, seemed to indicate that Rebecca thought she had helped save Max's life, and now she needed saving. I don't know if, I don't think investigators believed that was the kind of message a killer would put on Mm -hmm. the door. I mean, why bother something that cryptic if you're wanting to make it look like a suicide? Why not make it more direct?
0: Right. And why risk your DNA getting anywhere? Right. Right. If you're, yeah, if you're going to make it, yeah. If you're going to make it that cryptic, what's the point? Mm -hmm. Taking that risk. That makes sense. Speaking of the message on the door, going back to Dr. Kent... He talked about the door and how, and her height and the door and the painting on right. the door. What do you? Right, that yeah. was a very yeah. messy way of asking. <laughs> what did yeah. Doctor Kent say about the painting
1: yeah. on the door? Doctor Kent did talk about the natural position a person would have when writing on a vertical surface like an upright door, and seemed to think that at Rebecca's height, which again was about five three. It wouldn't have been the most natural, comfortable position for her to write the two lines or paint the two lines as high on the door as it appeared, which was, uh, it was an old-fashioned wooden door with, I I would say, four inset panes. Mm -hmm. And the message was written across the second to the top one. And... He seemed to think she would have naturally written it a little bit lower and that somebody taller would have written it where it was. Mm-hmm. And Adam Shackney is taller. He's supposedly about 5'11". Mm-hmm. He did agree that it was not impossible or, or acutely ridiculous to think she would put it up at that level.
0: She could have stood on something.
1: Right. Well, it wasn't it wasn't totally out of her reach. Okay. It's just that her shoulder would have been you know, a little straight, a little higher Mm -hmm. up she painted it. And he talked about how when painting broad strokes of paint, that your whole body is kind of involved, your whole shoulder. It isn't just your wrist and fingers like Mm -hmm. when you're writing with a pen on a paper on a flat surface. Mm
0: -hmm. Pauline, is there anything else that happened this week you'd like to discuss?
1: Um, no, I think that really covers it from from the four days of testimony this week.
0: Great. What well, can um, we and we can expect Adam on Monday? Right. Adam Shackney. Right. Well great. Look forward to uh,
1: It will continue to be interesting. Oh
0: let's hope so. <laughs> well great. We'll talk to you next week.
1: All right, very Thank good. Thank you very much. You're welcome.
0: Each week, under the gavel we'll dive into the details of the trial. We'll also have stories on our website, San each day court is in session. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date. And if you can, please rate and review this podcast. It would really help us out and let us know what we can do better. If you have any questions, comments, information, notes, anything, please feel free to email me at lauren.flyn at sduniontribune.com. This week's Under the Gavel team includes myself, Lauren Flynn, as executive producer and editor. Reporting by Lindsay Winkley and Pauline Reppard. Our artwork is by Gloria Orbagozo and Christina Bivick. And John McCutcheon is our editorial director. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Lauren Flynn. Thanks for listening.